You may have a seat. Good morning. How is everybody today? Yeah? Good? Good. Look at Lily. Do the two thumbs up in the air. I love it. Yeah. Who's two thumbs up in the air today? Yeah? Two thumbs up in the air. Well, good morning. My name is Melody. I'm one of the pastors here at New Song. So happy to have so many folks with us today. If you are visiting because you are alongside someone today, uh, we are so happy you're here. If you are visiting because it's the first Sunday you're here, you're checking us out, welcome. And if you're here every day and know exactly everything I'm going to say, well, welcome to you too. That's what we should do one day, have the crowd do announcements. That would be interesting. That would never end. That's such a terrible idea. All right, well, welcome today. Uh, If you are someone who wants to connect with us, you have a a connect card right in front of you for you to give us your name, your phone number, your email, and there's a little box right outside in the foyer for you to stick that right in. And uh, myself and Grant would love to connect with you uh, just during the week, sometimes on Sunday, People get away from us because it's just a Sunday and you know how things are and it's, you know, it's hard to have a deep and meaningful conversation on a Sunday, but um, please make sure you do that, okay? Everyone's clear on that direction? Yes? Okay. I don't see anyone taking them out. That's all right. I'll I'll chase you to the parking lot afterwards because we do that also. Okay. Um, Well, today is a very, very, very exciting day because today we are doing baptisms. And I believe we have a record number of baptisms today. We have eight people scheduled to be baptized. And and we're doing a baby dedication. So just so, so excited to do that today. Now, I want to tell you something. We have this ready. We have the people that are ready with their change of clothes and their towels and all those things. But if you are someone who has not been baptized and you feel something speak to your heart today, would you listen to that? Would you listen to that this morning? We have been praying for this morning uh, for a while now. We have been praying for, we pray for all of you. We partner together in that. You guys pray for us. If there is something that says to you today, yes, I want to stand up and I want to declare that Jesus is the better way and he's the one that gives me the hope and he's the one that, that gets me through all the things because life doesn't become easier, right? Just because you get dunked in water, right? Right. So, but it is a public declaration, a very important step in our faith. But if you feel that tugging on your heart today, please don't hesitate later when we say something about it. Uh, Okay, so we are also going to enjoy a little bit of a celebration afterwards. We have some cookies, and all you know we have cookies. Yes. (laughs) Two big trays, two big trays of cookies. Uh, So we invite you to stay a little bit afterwards. Uh, Just give the people who have been baptized just a little congratulations, a little high five or a fist bump or a hug, whatever it is. So we're inviting you to stay for that afterwards. Um, Something that is happening this week and for, I know for San Dimas and Bonita next week is that school is starting up again. Yay! (laughs) That was unenthusiastic. (laughs) But we today, uh, in a second, we're gonna pray together for students that are starting school for teachers who are starting their classrooms again, for school nurses who have to deal with all the things coming in as kids go back to school, for administrators, we're gonna pray for crossing guards. I'm, I'm probably gonna forget all the, all the titles out there, but we are just gonna pray for schools starting up and all the things that are around that. So um, if you know uh, a student of yours, think of them. We have a whole student ministry section back here. Look at them. Excellent. And so we are just going to cover them in prayer and just, um, just do that today. We are also going to pray. I'm sure you have heard by now about the devastating fires in Maui yes. and just what a loss of life that has been, what a loss of land that has been, what just a loss. And that has been heartbreaking to watch over the last week. So we are going to pray for them also today. 
Um, we are going to pray for our service, and we are going to pray for God's blessing upon us. You guys know that uh, we are an independent church. We, don't, we are not supported by a denomination or anything like that. We are 100% supported by each other. And so we are going to pray that whatever giving you might have to give today, or if you've done it online, or if you've done it on an envelope, if you do it in the little box that's right outside, we're going to pray that God uses that for his honor and his glory and to multiply and support all the things that happen here at New Song. In these walls, outside of these walls. Okay, would you say amen to that with me? Amen. All right, join me in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this morning, God. Thank you for uh, just the excitement in the air, maybe the nerves in the air that are happening right now in regards to baptism, Lord. Lord, I pray that as each of us gets ready to um, listen to the words that Grant has this morning, to listen to what you have put on his heart, Lord, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us uh, would, just, would just have a moment where we breathe in and just say, okay, Lord, I'm here. What do you have for me? Lord, would we, uh, would we be open to your word? Would we be open to the prayers that are said, to witnessing the baptisms that happen, Lord. Lord, I pray for um, all the folks who are going to get baptized this morning, Lord. Thank you for this amazing step that they have intentionally said. Today is the day where I say Jesus is the way. Lord, thank you for that. Um, I thank you for what is going to happen the rest of the day. Lord, I pray for this week as uh, many schools have already started. Glendora Unified starts this week, Lord. Um, all, across, all across the map, there's all districts have already started or start this week. San Dimas next week, Bonita next week, Lord. Lord, I pray for our students that are here, Lord. Would you be with them? Protect them. Protect their minds. Protect their hearts, Lord. Lord, as they walk along those hallways and they see their friends and they're in their classes, Lord. Lord, would they call on you? Would they call on you as they maybe feel maybe a little bit scared walking down the hallway for the first time? Or maybe there's some people that they're not super excited to see. Maybe there's people they are excited to see. Lord, would they pray to you and thank you? Lord, would they call on your name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Lord, I pray for school administrators and teachers and nurses and crossing guards and everyone who is involved in some sort of school thing. Lord, would you please bless them? Would you keep them? And would you make your face shine upon them, Lord? Lord, be with our uh, lead pastor today, Grant. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his words. Thank you for uh, the message that he brings today. Would you lift him up and would he find strength in you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Grant. Thanks, Mel. All right. <laughs> Well, good morning. morning. How is everyone this morning? It's nice and cool in here. My, my Scottish acclimatization to Southern California continues. Fits and, fits and starts, you know. Um, but we are uh, in the summer series, even though it's summer all year round here. I don't know why we call it a summer series. It's just like a series, you know. Um, and it's called... Um, uh, the summer of love. And you may notice there's a few brightly colored, a few tie-dye shirts today. We encourage people. So if you're new to us and you're planning on coming back, uh, bring your tie-dye, wear your colorful stuff. You know, we're, we're getting, uh, we're kind of doing a little uh, revisit of 1960s, right? I was born in 1969. I just made summer of love, man. So this is my, by the way, I've also been alternating between my customary black clothes which I wear because Johnny, like Johnny Cash, until there's no injustice. It always should be someone standing up front and dressed in black, right? But this is the alternate week where I wear colorful clothes. So just to keep you right, without this is happening. Um, so the Bible tells me so is, is where we're looking because we sing that song a lot at various places around San Dimas that we visit, including the San Dimas Retirement Center. Uh, and, and we realize it's just a wonderful song. It encapsulates so much of what we believe about uh, God and ourselves and the relationship between God and ourselves. So we've been exploring this uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, we started out with what is scripture. It's a really a prime place to discover the love of God is in the pages of the Bible. 
Uh, and then the Old Testament, we discussed that. And then uh, we discussed the New Testament. Then last week, we talked about the thing called our conscience. Uh, how might the fact that we seem to have a conscience point towards a personal God who loves us? Um, uh, and we talked about that we're made in, man, in God's image, that we have his fingerprints all over us. There's something more than just this flesh, but there's something spiritual about human beings made in God's image, and that we have some kind of conviction of right and wrong. There's a, a kind of a moral element to the universe, uh, and we struggle with that because we do feel somewhat out of place uh, within ourselves, and some of the actions that we take, they have a consequence on us. Unless we have really violated our conscience to the point where we don't feel anything anymore, a healthy person is going to have this, you know, the little guy on each shoulder telling, well, that was right, that was wrong. Um, it's often unreliable, though. Our conscience is unreliable. So it can lead us into shame. Some people have a very sensitive conscience, and they feel ashamed about everything. So it can be very difficult to be a human being with this experience. It doesn't always point to God. Sometimes it draws us away from God, because like the first humans, uh, when sin enters our lives, the first thing we do is we hide. We hide from one another, and we hide from God. And he calls us to come out into the open, into his light, because he is nothing but love for us. And he wants to cleanse our consciences. We heard about that. In fact, it's connected with baptism. Baptism is, is not, this, this symbolizes something profound, not just the washing of dirt off of a, off clothes or a body, but actually cleansing our conscience from uh, works that would lead to death and, and entering us into God's life. And so then we talked about how to tune our hearts to sing God's grace. It's from that song, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. I love that idea, to tune my heart to sing God's grace, like an old radio, which we played a little sound of that last week, uh, of you know, tuning in, trying to find that station with clarity. And we said that ways to do that could include scripture and prayer, or prayerful reading of scripture, especially in community with other people. And gratitude can help to tune that. And then confession, not just to God, but to a trusted other person. You can come and say, this is me. Quite likely they'll also say, yeah, me too. And we will find this ability to to, to be walking in the light as God is in the light and we have fellowship with one another. And then our joy, as it says over there, can be complete. Well, this week we're sing, talk, talking about a similar concepts. So conscience and this one this week are very similar. We're talking about longings. Jesus loves me, this I know, for my longings tell me so. You know, if you were here last week, you experienced this strange moment when my, my own conscience, who turned out to be a, a female American, interrupted my sermon by talking to me. Uh, and she sounded an awful lot like the HR lady at the church here. And, and my conscience said, well, everyone's conscience sounds like an HR lady. Um, so I, if, if I was interrupted this week by the voice of my longings, what would we hear? You know, well, my conscience spoke to me about what I have done or left undone, Perhaps the voice of my longings would speak to me about what I want. Maybe I'm not telling anyone else, but I have these longings and they are about something that I desire. Something I currently do not possess, but I have a desire for. It could be simply that I'm hungry right now, although Rana made me this amazing smoothie this morning and it is satisfying me very much. But it could be that I'm hungry and I'm starting to long for lunch. Let's get this thing over with so I can go and do the important business of the day. Like a good Western, you know, person. Filling my tummy with good fast food wherever you're going to go. Or I'm tired, and I am tired. I didn't sleep that well last night. I'm longing to put my head down on my settee on my couch and have the cat like as a cozy blanket across my chest and just crash out for a few hours. Or perhaps... I really hope that this message today is helpful to my brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you, that is a true longing that I have. Maybe that voice would say, say that. What about you? Where do you feel your longings? What do you experience in terms of longing? Maybe you um, sometimes skip lunch and you're very well acquainted with that little hunger pang. You're hungry. Maybe you're lonely in your life sometimes, and you're, long, you're longing for companionship, for a friend, for community. 
Or maybe it's even harder than that. Maybe you're missing a loved one who is no longer beside you and you long for their voice, their face, their touch, their presence, and it hurts. Maybe you have longings that you can't even name. If you were to label your longings, maybe there's a whole section of them, so I don't even know what I'm longing for, but it's undeniably true that I feel a, a longing for something. To really, it's unfulfilled desire, dissatisfaction. And what I love about this idea of the conscience and this week, uh, longings, next week we're talking about the cross. You know, and the cross is central to the Christian faith, but I think the fact to talk about conscience and longings, I don't think there's really anyone in, in a room like this that can't identify with this. It is so human. We cannot deny that we have longings. And I think one thing that tells us that these things are true, that we are dissatisfied, we have unfilled desires, is, is this, that some people say money makes the world go round, but actually, I think our longings make the world go round. Our longings make this economic structure that we have created function. If every human being on the planet was totally satisfied with what they have, the entire economy would crash. If every single person was entirely satisfied with what they had, things would just grind to a halt. The endless production and consumption and discarding of products that our world seems to be built on. Clearly we're not satisfied. As the great theologian Mick Jagger <laughs> once said, if you've been here for a while, you know we do like a rock and roll song or something every Sunday morning, just gives the magician, uh, magicians, they are magicians. <laughs> it gives our magical musicians a chance to flex their riffs, you know? But also it, it, it talks about this a little bit, right? The, this whole culture has expressing longings and they do it very profoundly through art, through creativity, through songs and stories and poems and paintings. And we're gonna talk about that this summer. We're gonna talk about how the arts might tell us as a God who loves us. But that great theologian, Mick Jagger, said, I can't get no satisfaction. You know that song, right? Let's do it. You're singing the devil's music in God's house, come on. No. Jesus loves Mick Jagger, let me tell you. Uh, he says, when I'm watching my TV and a man comes on and tells me how white my shirts can be, right? It's advertising. <clears throat> There's dissatisfaction. There's a guy on TV saying, oh, yeah, you have not seen anything yet, Mr. Jagger. You sh your shirts can get whiter. You need this. It, it is catering to our longings. And even more than that, it seems in advertising, there's sometimes a willingness to tell us that we have needs and longings that we don't actually currently have in order that they might satisfy or, satisfy or fill them. Has anyone ever seen Mad Men? I'm not recommending it. It's kind of a, you know, a crazy show, but it's, it's been a while since it's been on. But it's about the early advertising business in New York, this cutthroat, cigarette-smoking, womanizing mess that was advertising. And Don Draper is the main character. And there's a couple of quotes from him. He said, advertising is based on one thing, happiness. Happiness. You may have heard sometimes the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is a bit more of a shallow thing. It's not bad, but it's kind of circumstantial. Advertising is based on one thing, happiness, and you are the product. You feel something, that's what sells. And I think it's the fact that we feel dissatisfied. We cannot deny that we long for that which we don't have. Especially in a, in a technological, industrialized nation like ours, there's endless offerings designed to address our longings, saying, I, this is the thing. If you would only subscribe, purchase, for three easy payments of $5.99 and one really difficult payment of $560. <laughs> That's a Mitch Hedberg joke, credit where it's due. <laughs> You'll be happy. You will finally be satisfied but nothing seems to last. Nothing seems, not in my life anyway. I have purchased a lot of Amazon products. Now I've got it down to, it's kind of like, you know, baby steps. Now I've said before, I'll fill my cart with things I want and then I won't buy them. I'll just put them to buy later, look at later, right? 
They know what they're doing. They are so good at this stuff. Because then when you go and buy something, it pops up all the things you thought about buying before and suggests that now is the time to buy them. Come on. But nothing seems to last. It seems like nothing satisfies us. It's like on a scorching hot day, of which we have had many recently, and you're working in the yard, or you go for a hike, whatever you have done, and then you finally get to the point where you can open a nice ice-cold drink. And you know, the first taste is sublime. It is like heaven on earth. But after that, it is a diminishing returns. As the drink gets warmer, and the ice dilutes it, and the fizz becomes less, and the sugar starts to make all kinds of weird effects in your body, or whatever you're drinking, it's got something. And by the end, you're like, I don't even want to finish this thing. That's why they made the small cans. <laughs> you know? I'm sure there's a profit margin in there somewhere, right? And the only reason I finished the can is because I paid for it, and I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> Nothing seems to satisfy us, and the longings remain with us day after day. And some people have te tested this. You know, in the Old Testament, it's a book called Ecclesiastes, and it's the, one of the wisest men. And he talks about this. He said, I gave in myself into every pleasure, into, into wealth and power and land and riches and, and everything that my heart desired. And it was futile, nothing but a grasping after the wind. Meaningless, he says. Money, power, compliments, popularity. They promise a lot. If I only had more of these things, I would be content, I would be satisfied. And anyone who's ever purposely made it their goal has, if they're honest, will admit that they still sort of feel the same. Timothy, a letter to Timothy by Paul, um, he wrote, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's not only that it doesn't satisfy, sometimes it does the opposite. It actually damages us. It's not just a, something that we can use and get away unsatisfied but otherwise unscathed. Many of these things, our lack of satisfaction can damage us. And that is kind of how it's been. Last week we talked about the beginning in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, and we talked about the conscience, potentially the origin being the human beings made in the image of God, and then this, this sense of right and wrong and purpose enter into the world, and, and then these conversations with God are no longer pleasant. They're now like, where are you? Well, I hid because I, I did this thing, and I'm ashamed, and I saw I was naked, and I'm ashamed, and I, I heard you coming, and, and, and it becomes bad. Well, similarly, this concept of, of longing seems to start right back then too. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, I'm hungry. That looks good. I want that. And I want to have wisdom. She took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And it's the original lie that something material would satisfy those who should be satisfied in all that they have. And it comes about because of <clears throat> this serpent, who I would say was the original advertising executive. The original advertising executive, Satan, the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You can almost imagine the infomercial. We should make one. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. So the suggestion first is that they were being denied something that they were entitled to, something that they needed, something more, something that would be more sufficient in which they could progress to something deeper, something greater. And then he says to be like God, content in simply being, promising some internal foundational contentment. That's what God is like. God does not need anything. God is satisfied. 
God is content. It's almost like this promise of you, you can attain this. What he's given you is not enough. You should attain this. You'll be like him. And knowing good and evil, this seemingly sense that, yeah, you'll be like him and you'll be able to evaluate what is good for you, what is beneficial, what is not. But it didn't work out like that because it was a lie. Because God had designed it that only in a relationship of the creator with his creation would these humans ever find and continue and persevere in the satisfaction that they had been given, this generous, gracious satisfaction where all was theirs, shared with them in abundance. They would have a relationship with each other. No loneliness and a deep relationship with their creator. Not being God, being content to be, made in God's image and dependent upon God for everything, this generous God of love whom we're talking about this summer. So we have longings, and they seem to have been with us for a very, very long time. But how, do they, how might they point us to God? How might our longings turn us away from our other preoccupations toward this God who made us, who loves us, and who invites us into a relationship to restore what was broken with him? The first thing is physical. What about physical longings such as hunger, thirst, fatigue? I'm not that hungry right now, but I am tired. I don't have what I need. I feel like I'm running a bit on my, I need more gas at Costco, but it's too crowded. I got, if anyone knows what's the best time of the week to go to Costco for gas, please let me know after the message. You can write it on a card. What? 6 a.m. Sorry, no way. I'm tired. No. Thank you. I'm, up, I'm usually up at 2 o'clock praying till 5.30, so that would work perfectly with my schedule. Um, but So hunger, thirst, fatigue, what does it do? Well, it reminds us of who we really are. It reminds us of our mortality and our dependence upon God and others. We're not in control of everything. We get hungry. We get thirsty. We get tired. We are mortal. And what's so beautiful is that Jesus demonstrated this. You know, we, we've done a sermon series about Jesus being fully human, which often we forget. We either neglect one or the other. We say, he's fully divine, he's God, he has nothing to do with us, doesn't understand what we're going through. Or he's just a human being who taught good things and then got killed. But he is both, he is 100% God. He set aside his glory and he became fully human. And he hungered and he thirsted and he fatigued just like we do. That is his solidarity with us. And he sought the Father for all that he needed, when he needed it. It says in John 19, later, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, said, I am thirsty. Fully human. So, when I'm hungry, when I'm thirsty, when I'm tired, it reminds me of who I am. I am not strong. Jesus loves me, this I know. We are weak but he is strong. But what does God say in response to this? It says, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. And pagans, not like Wiccan or some modern practice of religion, simply at that time means those who are not God's people, not with the Jews or the Christian people. They're preoccupied with getting what they need. Sometimes in the pantry and things in the garden, we get people who are so frantic to get something being given because they're coming from this perspective of lack. If I don't get it now, I won't get it tomorrow. And if they get it, I won't get any. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. It is about abundance. Our longings should not lead us to greed and selfishness. They should lead us to confidence. So we need to... Choose between worry or trust. The second aspect, so physical, these are really, really, really real. When you're hungry, you're hungry. When you're tired, you're tired. When you're thirsty, you're thirsty. There are other ones that are a little bit less, little less tangible, emotional longings. And I think loneliness is one of the most serious longings that we have. And I think that's why, that's why I love the church. Because the church is a place that calls people of all diversity to come and find community together with all that that entails, with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it, our, when we feel lonely, what it does, our longing for company reminds us that God 
is correct when he tells us that we are made for relationships with himself and with others. We cannot avoid it. So when we feel lonely, it just, it reminds us God has made us for relationships. It feels like that's such a target these days in our, in our community. All the division, it's satanic. If God is correct in saying the Lord God said it's not good that the human is alone right at the beginning again, then these divisions are satanic. And especially when it happens in the church, I vote this way, I vote this way. That's far more important than this unity we supposedly enjoy in Christ. Work it out, brothers and sisters. You are one. Do not tear the body of Christ apart. That's, what's, that's what we're trying to build here. There are people in here who completely disagree about with each other politically. That's okay. But are they willing to hold to the unity that they have in Christ and love, respect, and prefer their brother, seeking to do no harm to them, to not judge them, not second guess what they think they think. This is a, a weird experiment. Ron and I lived on an island, as I said before, where we were forced to get along together because there wasn't another church on the island. There was a few attempts to make them from little church splits, but they never got off the ground, praise God, because people had to do things together and work it out. And we believed in the essentials of the Christian faith and all this other stuff was not that important compared to Christ. All for one. So, yeah, Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be empowered, overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then this interesting statement, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. But we're talking about two. What's the third strand? The third strand is God's presence. Two people gathered together with the presence of God among them and agreement and unity about what that means is a powerful thing. And it's what we are called to. So we have a choice. The old broken way is competition. I have longings, therefore I will compete with you to satisfy what I think I need emotionally, physically, or community, where we have longings and together we will seek God together and share in order to meet those needs. Another emotional thing and something that's been very close to my family is grief. There's a longing. I mentioned it earlier and I felt it. I felt it in the room and I felt it in my heart that the people that we have lost, like I said, missing their, their voice, their face, their touch, their presence, there's an empty space where they were, is a longing. What does that tell us about this God? Well, it seems to hint to us, the fact that we long so desperately and, and relationships can be so deep, we can't even describe the love we have had for people. I think it tells us that the, the people that God has made, are, it's stronger than death. It, it, it goes past death. It's bigger than death. There is continuation. It is not once for all gone dead. As First Thessalonians says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. We don't want you to be uninformed, we want you to be informed so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So from that longing, we turn to God or we turn away, we turn towards hope or we turn towards horror. I can't conceive but something within me tells me, as much as people try and say it all the time, we've got friends who are complete atheists, but it's really interesting when someone they know dies, they say, well, he's up in heaven now strumming his guitar with all the guys. And, and they're saying it to comfort themselves, but also they're saying it because they, there's some conception that there's something more, it can't be over. These diehard punk rock atheists are suddenly talking about heaven. And I would never be so brash to engage them in it. I just watch it and I pray for them. And go, may that, may that sense 
get deeper in them and go, you know, maybe there's something more. Because ultimately it's a spiritual issue. We are spiritual people. We're made in the image of God. Our conscience and our longings are spiritual issues. They manifest in the physical and in the emotional, the relational, but they are spiritual. Our longings reveal a spiritual incompleteness in us. Just as last week we said that our consciences will not give us rest without God's moral presence. It's gonna bother us unless we shut it down so hard and you get some people, it turns out really badly for those who don't listen to the conscience and who again and again and again and again squish it down, they get a hard heart and terrible things can happen. Just as the conscience will not rest, our longings will not give us rest without God's satisfying presence. No matter how many cans of Coke we open, take one sip, throw it away, or whatever it is we're gonna do to feel satisfaction, the only thing is gonna give us his, his presence, is gonna give us a satisfaction that will somehow remain with us and sustain us. We sung the song this morning, Woodstock. Can anyone recognize that song, if those of you who are here? Yeah, Joni Mitchell, still singing, still amazing. What a great songwriter. But it's so interesting that in the 60s, it's all about longings. You know, these young people going like, this feels broken. I don't want to live the life my parents lived while we're still doing that now. Hey, kids, right? Every generation goes like, yeah, this is not working. Let's change it. Let's do something different. But in the 60s, it was a big drive toward let's try and love one another. But the really interesting lyric in the song that we heard this morning is, is this. We are stardust. We are golden. So it's this saying like, no, we're valuable. We're important. We're precious. And then we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Garden is Joni Mitchell talking about. She's talking about this place of origin where our longings were satisfied. Lots of people have discovered this. A man called Blaise Pascal, he wrote this little book called Pensée. It's French and it just means kind of thoughts, reflections. And he, he's famous for having this idea of a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole. Like every person has a God-shaped vacuum or a, a, a shape, you know, like a cookie cutter, you know, or the little bricks and blocks that you do when you're a kid, right? It doesn't fit if it's not the right shape. He said, well, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but there, that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's a complicated way of saying every single person of us has a capacity to know God and we will never be satisfied till that space is occupied by his life in us. St. Augustine, who wrote this uh, book called Confession, and it was about his journey from a rabble-rousing drunkard to having this epiphany where he heard some young person reading some pages from Scripture, and he had this moment where he, it made sense to him. And he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And then C.S. Lewis, this is a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing for you guys, okay? So get yourselves comfortable. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Nothing wrong with a cold can of Coke on a hot day. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I'll not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. And throughout history, throughout scripture, people have come to the same conclusion. 
The psalmist, as the song goes, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Hebrews, we're studying Hebrews. We'll be back in there in the fall. It says this about all these people of faith who did tremendous things and suffered tremendous things. But it says, instead, they were longing for a better country. They didn't put their hope in the earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. Second Corinthians, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And then there's a really great little book by a guy called Douglas Copeland, and he's not a Christian believer by any stretch of the imagination, but he writes this book called Life After God. And he's a Gen X guy like me, and he's kind of exploring the idea that if we say there's no God, okay, we've killed God, God is irrelevant, then what consequences might that have for our souls and our lives and our, our, our relationships and our community? And the book ends with these words. It says, now here is my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you're in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God that I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable of giving, to help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness, to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Many people have come to the conclusion that this longing, this dissatisfaction, they've encountered God in Christ and discovered something satisfying and that and they are still pursuing that vein like in a mine and you're pursuing this vein of precious metal and you keep pursuing and pursuing despite the danger despite the darkness despite the challenges this is for you following this route this is the precious thing this is my sustenance this is my daily bread and i think longings themselves are a gift from our creator, just as the conscience is a gift from our creator because it keeps us alert to the fact that things are not right. There are some religious traditions that say, everything is fine, it just is. Your suffering comes from the fact that you can't deal with these desires, so you need to shut them down and that's the way to salvation. That's not what this tradition says, it says that these things are real, there is longing, there is brokenness, there is pain, there is loneliness. But even the longings themselves are a gift from our creator. In Proverbs 13, the writer says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The longer, you know, you're waiting for the pandemic to get over, whatever, whatever it might be, you're like, this day's coming, or, you know, for Lily for Christmas or her birthday, right? When's it coming? Or are we there yet, Dad? Whatever that longing is, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is a good thing. My family and I are traveling, traveling to Scotland in September, Many of you know my family in Scotland suffered a tremendous tragic loss. And so we decided that we're going to go, my kids, my wife and I are going to go for a couple of weeks in September. And I am so longing to be there. And just imagining when I see them, when I hug them, finally we're not going through a computer or a telephone, we're face to face, present. What a beautiful gift from my creator. Because currently I miss them and without them, but there will be some satisfaction to come when I will experience their presence and their joy. And, and that is the most beautiful thing about even this thing today, you know, and what has happened to people who have been baptized. They have tasted something, they've experienced something, and their longing has been met in such a profound way that they probably can't even quite explain to you. That's why we don't prescribe a whole lot of, you must say this in, in the right order and everything, because it's very individual. God meets us, he calls us by name, and he meets us right where we're at. And says, come to me, all you who are heavy and weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the most wonderful thing about longings is this, it's longings are a two-way street. It's not just, oh, I thirst for God. It's that God thirsts for us. He longs for his relationship to be restored. It's not just this one-way street of us reaching out to God. This whole Christian faith is about the fact that God wanted to reclaim and renew and redeem his creation and his people. We were not looking for him. We were looking for Coca-Cola, bigger car, whatever. 
And he was pursuing and seeking us. And he does that so well. James chapter four, verse five says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he, God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This beautiful connection. God is a jealous God. We talked about that in the Old Testament. God is a jealous God. It's not this negative thing that we think like a jealous boyfriend. It's that he will go he, his love for us is so great that he will always seek our best, even if it hurts us at times. And as we said, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he's prepared a city for them. That's a two-way street. They were longing for this far distant time when their longings would be satisfied. They were working in the present for what they believed would be their possession in the future and God was not ashamed to be called their God and he was preparing a city for them. I love that Jesus on two separate occasions asked obviously blind people, what do you want me to do for you? He's addressing their longings. He's saying, your blindness may be the most obvious thing that you need to be repaired, but there's so much more, and I am the source for that healing. What do you want me to do for you? And they said these words, which have so many different meanings. I want to see, Lord. I want to see. Another great C.S. Lewis piece of writing as if this is a two-way street, I think it, God maybe has a perspective on if his longing, if this eternal God of love, his longing is beyond our imagining. His love for us is beyond our imagining. What is ours like in comparison if it could be satisfied by such small things? He writes, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus met a woman at a well one time. He wasn't even supposed to be there. And he wasn't supposed to be speaking to a woman. He wasn't speaking to a woman who's a Samaritan. They didn't get along, the Jews and Samaritans at that time. But he had this appointment with her. And he was at that well. And he used the concept of drawing water to tell her this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the very last words of the whole Bible, we talked for three weeks about scripture, the last words are this, the spirit and the bride, and we're the bride, this, and I love that, it's like, we say amen with God, right? The spirit, the Lord himself and the bride say come, and let the one who hears say come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I'm going to invite Ben to come up. We're going to go to communion in just a minute. But I've got a few more little things to share. <clears throat> the first thing is, is this. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis said, we are too easily pleased. Um, we get so caught up in the moment, we can't help it. God understands that. We have grace, we have forgiveness. Um, but we, we, we just look at what's in front of us. So it's very hard to be eternally minded, heavenly minded. These things are kind of intangible. That's why we gather together to do this. This is why I would encourage you to come every Sunday, if not to this place of worship, to a place of worship, because I need reminders every week. It's so easy to not realize that I've wandered a little bit and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not satisfying myself. We are so in the present, it's hard to think about these things without regular reminders. And just as I told my daughter in high school when she was like, you know, struggling, you know, because being popular in high school is a big deal. I said, I read this somewhere, I said, being, seeking to be popular in high school is like trying to be the mayor of a town that will not exist in four years. <laughs> Think the long view. 
seeking to be popular in high school, it's like trying to be the mayor of a town that will not exist in four years. John writes, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It is the will of God that you be satisfied. It is the will of God that you seek satisfaction in Christ and him. In Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is after talking about all these, the pagans run after these things and we're able to win aware. Talks about the flowers of the field. Look how beautiful these flowers are. If you go across to our community garden over there, there's some amazing plants and flowers. And how does that even happen? It is incredible. Designers take their cues from the animal kingdom all the time. Engineers take it. God's creation is amazing. And he says, won't God clothe you? Won't God take care of you if he takes care of these plants and animals and birds. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. And there's a man who's kind of a famous guy in Britain in the Christian faith and his name was George Muller. He came from Germany originally. He was a pastor. He was a pastor to the poor. Back in those days, they had these pews that were actually locked. You had a padlock. And if you were wealthy, you could pay to have the pew. And your family would sit there and you'd be benefactor. We're going to introduce that, by the way, for the budget. So sign up outside afterwards. Padlocks are out there. Check, whatever, postal order. Cashier's check, preferably. Cash is actually best. Um, but he did away with that in his church. He was like, why, why, this is wrong. <laughs> these people... These people have longings. They should be able to freely come in here and hear a message about the God who will satisfy them. But think about this. This was before penicillin, no antibiotics. This guy lived in the, in, the, in the 19th century. What a hard life. We think we've got it hard. And he prayed all the time. And he, he didn't even ask for donations or money. And God supplied incredible things. He had orphanages, all these amazing things. He was an outstanding man of faith. But this is what he said his secret was. So the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Dissatisfaction and unmet longings. God wants to satisfy us. So we're not seeking to always be satisfied with this, then this, then this, which not only don't provide, don't deliver, but actually end up harming us. And as I said before, this is not a one and done thing, you know? You come and hear a message and suddenly your life's all perfect. As Melody said, you know, you go in that water as a, as, you know, a person with challenges and issues and stuff. You come out of the water with a person with challenges and issues and stuff, but these moments are important. What you do today is important. As Melody said, what's moving in your heart is important. God is with us today. He is communicating with us and he loves us. But don't expect it just to suddenly be I, need, I don't need Coca-Cola anymore. I've been addicted to Pepsi products for 16 years and I don't need them. It's a journey. But the most important thing is to start in the right place and say, God, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And let him be the one who determines what that looks like. Let him be the one who quenches your thirst and satisfies your hunger. So we're going we're gonna to do communion now. We're going to come to the table. And how, this morning, I want you to bring your longings. Just kind of visualize it even. What are you longing for? What is, what is hurting? What is missing? Where is there a space? And come seeking some satisfaction from the God who loves you, who made you, who knows everything about it. That's how we're going to come this morning. If you're someone who desires to take up this journey... And you don't know how it's going to look. You don't know what it's going to be like down the road. But today, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm tired of the same old treadmill. I think this is the way I need to go. And say yes to Jesus, and he will take you at your word. You say, I'm yours. I want to follow you. And if so, come and receive communion. Even in the smallest way, if you're interested in this and you, and you want to know more, come and talk to Melody and I and Stephen. But... If this is your direction you're going in, then come take a piece of bread in your own time and a, and a little cup, and then go back to your seat uh, and sit, and we'll take them together shortly. Let's do that. There's stations at the back. Uh, there are also stations at the front. In a minute, we will also ask Emma to raise her hand if you'd like us to come serve them where they are.
church where they are, if you would like us to come and bring the elements, you can raise your hand. Okay. By the way, thanks for those of you who collect on behalf of somebody else. That's really cool. Just as we need, we are not manufacturing anything. We are not, we don't create anything. We simply show up and offer our lives to you. You are the one who directs and leads and guides and comforts. Lord, as we take this bread, we read that your friend and follower Peter wrote, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, thank you for your body broken for us that gives us life. sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west and we carry them no more they were nailed to the cross there's no con- condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and Lord your people say amen your people say thank you your people say come Lord Jesus satisfy us with your love and send us with your purposes in Jesus name voices together. You can stand or sit and the band's going to lead us in some worship.